pray for our time together in the Word. Well, thank you, Father, for this beautiful day of prayer and worship as we gather today to hear the Word from uh, Rob. And we all uh, sit together in our seats and show you, give you praise and thanks for everything you do, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.
my heart and you know 
within us, God, and that our lives ultimately would bear fruit from it, lasting fruit. So bless our time, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 is our scripture for the year. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Some translations say you will reap what you sow. And I want to encourage us this year um, to again to allow this truly to be a year of growth. We're all at different places, like I said earlier, in our walk with God. But hopefully at the end of this year we won't be at the same place as we were in the beginning. That each of us would be diligent to seek Him while He may still be found. Remember, the Word of God says that if you seek Him, you will find Him. If you seek Him with your whole heart. And this is a principle, this verse is a, is a principle of God's kingdom. You will reap what you sow. You will harvest what you plant towards. It's either life or death. The flesh or the spirit. The Bible is very clear. The works of the flesh add up to nothing. You know? So what are you putting your hands towards daily? What are you, what are you opening up your mouth and, and, and being in agreement with throughout the day? What are you, what are you thinking? 
You know, the Bible's very clear. It's as you think, so you go. You know, like I want, I want you to, and I, to be purposeful this year to, to really consider what we're sowing into. You know, and especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. Like, you need to truly get to know your King, your God, your Lord. You know, as that scripture I said earlier, is how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. The Bible's very clear that we're to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of his lordship over our life. And that's why it's vital that you know the word of God. Because as thoughts are running, you go, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with truth. And if I keep thinking that way, it's going to lead me to act a certain way. And then if I act on that, then I'm going to end up harvesting what I'm planting. And you're the one who has to choose to obey God, to surrender to God. Like, God, I'm trusting you in this, you know. So whatever that is for each of you and for me, that is be really diligent this year to be mindful daily on what we're sowing to. That our lives are to honor God. And again, the reason why we're walking through the Bible is I'm really praying for us as I has been, have been since we started is that we would truly get to know Him. That we would truly see Him for who He is. You know, because as we see Him, as we know Him, so shall we live for Him. That we have to have the right picture of, of who He is. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. You know, God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son, Jesus. There's no other way but through Jesus. And to really see Jesus for who he is. He's not this weak-willed man. You know, something that a God that man has created. No, Jesus came to this earth and he knew what his purpose was. And it's in Christ and in Christ alone that we have complete wholeness and healing and deliverance from the nature that, that has kept us bound and in rebellion towards God. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And as I believe I said last week, Jesus, the word of God says, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Because remember, the world already stands condemned. You know? The wrath of God is coming, and it's because of sin. And, but there's a way out, and it's only through Jesus. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the hope that we have to share with others. It's, it's weird to think that Jesus, that God's plan to send his son to, to take our punishment, to, to die a horrible death, was just so people can show up for an hour or so on a Sunday. <laughs> And then go out from the place and live however they want. That doesn't make sense. Even when I first became, or even before I became a Christian, I didn't understand church. I didn't understand church folk. I, I didn't care for Christ. I didn't care for God. But then even after becoming a Christian, I, I felt kind of lost in the church because it just didn't make sense to me that this is all that we do. We just show up and then we just go back to, to what? Like, I knew God did something drastic in me when he revealed Christ to me, as he does for each one of us. See, we're not to remain the same. He, he calls us out. And it's a life now, again, of not being perfect, but it's a life of maturing. Because the more you know him, you won't keep settling for what's back here. 
you won't keep looking back. Even Jesus himself says that if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, he says, you're not fit for my kingdom. And so that should be a lesson for us. What are we looking back at? What's back here that can even compare to what's ahead of you and what is before you and who is in you, you know? Especially as believers, like we have the hope. And so it's not time for believers to cower down in our generation. It's not time for believers to be confused in their identity of who they are and who their God is. Like, no, we can be bold in our witness. We can be bold in, in, in our service and in our love for others. I mean, when I'm hearing the reports that are happening in all these different denominations... And how they're changing and misinterpreting the word of God just to satisfy the man, the created beings. Like, that's not God. God doesn't twist his word or change his word so that men and women can feel comfortable. No, like I've always told you, like the word of God says, the gospel does offend. The, the, the truth of God offends us because we want our right to ourselves. We want what we want. We want to do what we want to do. And so when one is presented with the truth of God's word, there is an offense. But it's in that offense that as we humble ourselves, we go, okay, wait a minute. There's some truth to this. Now, people can continue to demand the rights all they want. As true believers, we we recognize the call of a disciple. Jesus said the call of a disciple is one who would deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. There's no other way around it, you all. No matter how man wants to twist it and pervert it and water it down, it's not going to change. In fact, it's nothing new. That's what religious people do. That's who Jesus confronted when he was on the earth, was the religious people. Like, you're twisting my word. You're leading my people astray. And don't, don't miss on that one scripture when Jesus tells them, you travel far to win many converts, but you're making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. These are to the religious people, the religious men of the day. All their works and all their teachings and everything that they were promoting to people and people were receiving and following, they were leading them astray. They were leaving, leaving, leading them further away from God, not to God. And how sad. Because that's not what God has called us to. God doesn't call us to lead people further away from him. No, he calls us to represent him. To be his hands and his feet. To be his mouth. <laughs> to become more and more like Jesus. Not to become Jesus, <laughs> but to become more like him. Because he is who we are revealing to people. It's God in us. It's nothing of ourselves. We can't point to ourselves, look at me, look how good I am. No, because if you look at me, I can only show you how bad I am. (laughs) But if you look at Christ in me, you can see how good he is. And how he can take a wretched, filthy sinner (laughs) and transform them. As he does with each one that calls upon him. Like, be transformed, you all. Like, grow in this knowledge of God. Grow and look back at the, at the end of the year and look back and go, look how far I've come. There's so much more ahead of me, but 
God, I see progression in what you're doing in and through me. And you can't get the, the credit for it. He gets the credit for it. Because again, you're behind enemy lines, you all. We, we've got to really understand the spiritual aspect of this. I've always told you it's sad that the occult and other religions have a true understanding of the spiritual realm, but Christians seem to be ignorant to it, which only makes sense because that's how the enemy would work. I mean, again, no other religion is conforming to the culture. Have y'all noticed that? You don't see the Muslims. <laughs> you don't see all these other religions conforming to the, the demands of the culture. But Christianity, it's being attacked. It's being forced to surrender to how the culture is going. So you just start looking at little things. You know, like I told you, like Christians should be who people want around them. <laughs> in the neighborhoods, in their, in, as employees, you know. Like they're solid people, they're they're honest people, they're committed people, like government should want Christians in their nations, and yet they're being slaughtered. What sense is that? Because they talk of a king, they talk of a Lord, they talk of a God who has saved them and has delivered them, who has made them a better person, and because of that they're, they're slaughtered. And so it's, it's far beyond uh, the governments, the nations. It's far beyond men. It's far beyond what, what the, the temporalness of life can be. It, it, it's what God has, has purposed and planned. This life, that, that this, this realm that we cannot see. The, the Bible is clear. Your battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the rulers and the principalities and the air of the darkness. And it's time that the church understands the spiritual aspect to the Christian life. And that she regains the knowledge and stop allowing the occult and other areas of this temporalness of life understand it far better than her understanding it. Like we, we get up not in our own strength every day. Like you all should be putting on the armor of God. The sandals of peace, the belt of truth. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, picking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, and understanding what each piece means as you're walking in it and trusting in him. And like I said earlier in our prayer time, praying from the, the position of victory, not of defeat. Like getting up each day and, and, and reaffirming yourself in the truth of God's word of how he sees you knowing your identity in him when, when we lack our identity when we have no vision we perish we're just going to get caught up with what's out there but remember this is all temporalness that we see this is all fading away there's something so much greater ahead for us for those who are in Christ and that's the hope that we have, and that's the hope that we're preparing for, for his return. And so we're to get up every day, being mindful of what we're sowing into, being mindful of, 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 of acknowledging him and how we're living our lives, to be mindful not to make this a, a religious work, <laughs> being mindful to, to truly hear the call of a disciple and to respond in obedience. 
You know, the last thing Jesus told his disciples was to go out. (laughs) Throughout the earth, throughout the world, into the nations. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to do whatever they want. No, that's not what the Word of God says. (laughs) They're to go out into the nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all of his commands. That's what we're charged with. Every single one of us who's a Christian. These are Jesus' final words before he was lifted up, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we can't take it lightly and be flippant about it. Now that we truly understand, like, God, this is greater than us. But God, you've called us into this. You've called us into your plan that he purposed from the beginning of time. Because remember what scripture says too, you weren't an accident. (laughs) You were thought of and purposed by God for such a time as this. While there is breath in your body, the Bible says he has prepared good works for you to do even before he placed you in your mother's womb. Like God knew you. And so don't think when you were ushered into this world that the enemy didn't take notice. Because you're a threat to his kingdom. You're not to be in agreement with him. You're not to remain in rebellion. Like we endured all that we endured until the time that God revealed himself to us. Through Jesus, we surrendered our lives. Everything is broken off of us. And now the purpose, the genuine purpose of who you were created to be is now called forth to live. See, are you walking in that divine purpose, you all? I mean, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you still caught up with the temporalness of life that was only purpose to destroy you? To tear you down, to keep you beneath That is not where you belong. And so this is the hope that we have. No matter the persecution, no matter how the culture is changing, no matter how dark the world gets, we still have hope. And we're to be the light. And darkness, the word of God encourages, can never extinguish the light. It will try its hardest to silence the church. (laughs) But it can never silence us, you all. Jesus is victorious. So I do pray that your eyes would be open, that there will be a genuine hunger. And here's the great thing about this. It's not anything that you can start. I remember years ago when that revelation of truth came to me. There would have been nothing within me, there is nothing within you, that you wake up one day and go, "Mm, I think I'll get to know Jesus. That's not how it works. You have a desire to know Christ because he starts it in you. That's how you know God is real. Like he begins this in you. And you're so far away from him. You've done horrible things. You're about as rebellious and darkened as anyone. And yet God goes, no, come. begins this in us. And the word of God says that he is faithful to complete it. That's why we can't depend upon ourselves to complete it. No, we depend upon him. 
Like, God, you, I'm the work of your hands. You said, that, you said in your word that you would not neglect the work of your hands. See, this is, this is the hope that you can have. This is the confidence that you can walk in. Like, God, you, you are for me. You're not against me. I'm not listening to the lie of the enemy anymore. No, I'm not drawn by the things of this world any longer. No, I'm not, in being, I'm not feeding the desires within me that is so contrary to your truth. No, I see it for what it is. It's wickedness. It's sin. It's rebellion. But you've called me out to be a people that belongs to you and to live differently. That you are my God. Like this is the hope and the confidence, you all. That you can walk securely in Christ. So let's go to Numbers chapter 10 and 11. Short chapters today, we'll get through them. Again, I butcher these names, so some of these names I'm not even going to try. I, it's not even worth the embarrassment anymore. I don't know why my tongue doesn't want to say them. But anyways, chapter 10 and 11 is where we're heading. And I really hope, I, I, my prayer is that you all are really enjoying walking through the Old Testament. And if not, then just ask God to give that to you. Like, God, I, just wanna, I don't want to be bored by it, God. I just, I just want to understand it. You know, um, so I would just encourage you because again, everything that we're reading is pointing to Jesus. Like this is God's plan, you all. Like I, I, I really hope that you're that we're getting this. Like God, from the beginning, this is what you purposed, and all through this is just to have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. And you'll see it all the way through the Book of Revelation. And so it's good to to have a good foundation in the Old Testament. This is the Old Covenant. We're not bound by it any longer. But because we're not bound by it doesn't mean it's done away with because Christ fulfilled it. And so we just don't dismiss it like, ah, we should do whatever we want. Oh, no, 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 no. He fulfilled what God has purposed. And so now we are in Christ, learning of Christ. And so we're not going just to open ourselves up to anything and everything that's out there and neglect the law. Because the law has been fulfilled in Christ, the one in whom we are now engrafted in. Because remember, your position is in Christ. That's all through the New Testament. When God looks at you, you're in Christ. He doesn't see um, your sinfulness any longer. He doesn't see the rebellious nature any longer. No, you're in Christ. You're, you're whole. There, there's nothing missing, nothing broken. That's why I always challenge y'all, stop living out of your brokenness and start living out of your wholeness. But it's not going to come natural to you because your natural bent is brokenness. Because again, like I've always said, don't be shocked when we see Christians going back. Because where else are they going to go to? You see, the crazy thing is, is in the church, brokenness shouldn't be the norm. It really shouldn't. But it's almost that we've grown in the church culture to let that be the norm. That's oh, just what we're going to do, so let's just do it. And so it's odd when someone is actually moving forward, <laughs> when someone is growing, when someone is maturing, when someone has a deeper hunger for truth and, and applying truth to their life. To us, to the church, oh, that's weird. Oh, but now they think they're so holy. Oh, look. And now we, we look and we judge them. And that's the most craziest thing because that's actually... <laughs> how we're to be living. But again, the enemy comes in 
to twist, to deceive. The wheat and tares are together in the church. You know, there's wolves in sheep clothing. They look right, but all along their heart and tent is not right. And so we have to be mindful of, of, of truth. And we have to listen to everything. Everything I say, everything others say, you need to run it through the word. You just don't want man's opinion. No, you want to see it. Does it line up? And let's just be real. Not just, oh, it looks right there. <laughs> but if it's not all through, then just don't take one scripture and twist it. That's why you need to know the whole counsel from Genesis to Revelation because it all comes together. And so be mindful of the tricks of the enemy because how does he twist it? By twisting truth. Remember he came to Eve. How did he deceive her? By making her doubt. Did God really say that? And why is there so much confusion? When the Bible is very clear that it is God's desire to make his wisdom known to his people. There are going to be, yes, some things that we don't understand. But the counsel and the wisdom of God gives us the assurance and the comfort of who he is. And what his word has established. Because he's not man that he should lie. He honors his word. Like, know your God, you all. He honors his word. He honors his covenant. As we're reading, as we're seeing, he's pulled the people now aside for himself. This is the, the way the Messiah is coming into the earth. He has a people. He is pulled aside. They are to be marked. They are to be set apart. They are to be holy as he is holy. The other nations look in and go, well, that's odd. That's weird. Who are these people? Remember, they're not, they're not afraid of them of the people, but they are intimidated by their God. They will recognize that he is God, but they will not come to serve him. But these people are set apart to worship God, to honor God. And now God has delivered them after being enslaved for 400 some odd years in Egypt. God heard their cries. God has brought them out he has set them aside. He's, he's given them all these rules and laws and ways of worshiping him. They're, they're wandering all through this desert to get to the land in which he promised back here. And now he's walking them through. He's given them this, this tabernacle, this place in which he is dwelling. Remember, he is leading them by fire and cloud. Like he's among his people. I mean, they have seen God do extraordinary things, you all. And yet, and yet they still don't get him. That's that not made marked of us. You've seen God move in your life. You've seen God show up time and time and time again. Do not let your life be marked with one who has encountered God, but not know God. <laughs> How crazy is that? So let's begin. Chapter 10 here. Now the Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammer silver, of hammered silver, for calling the community to assemble and for signaling the breaking of camp. 
When both trumpets are blown, everyone must gather before you at the entrance of the tabernacle. But if only one trumpet is blown, then only the leaders, the heads of the class of Israel, must present themselves to you. When you sound the signal to move on, the tribes camped on the east side of the tabernacle must break camp and move forward. When you sound the signal a second time, the tribes camped on the south will follow. You must sound short blast as the signal for moving on. But when you call the people to an assembly, blow the trumpets at, I'm sorry, with a different signal. Only the priests, Aaron's descendants, are allowed to blow the trumpets. This is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. When you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. Blow the trumpets in the times of gladness too, sounding them at your annual festivals and at the beginning of each month. And blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind your God, look at this, of his covenant with you. I am the Lord, your God. I don't know about you, but God, that is find comfort in that phrase. I am the Lord, your God. See, see, there's no one else like him, you all. He is God and God alone. And look at this, what he says here. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. He honors his word. He honors what he has established. And I love this other picture here. In verse 9, when the, the, the trumpet is sound, um, when, when they're at war, then he says, then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. That is such another beautiful prayer that you can adapt in your own prayer life, especially when you're going through stuff. That God, you are pleased to remember me and rescue me. I want you to think about the times and the seasons of your life, or even where you're at now, is your first thought to turn to him. That's where you want to mature to. Is to keep him your first thought. Like he's God, y'all. Who else are we going to turn to? Am I going to turn to myself? We do. We turn to others. We turn to vices. We turn to all this other stuff to try to help. But it's God. And he desires to help. He longs to help us. We are his people. He's in covenant relationship with us through Christ. And he's not going to turn back. So, oh, that we would remember that he is for us and not against us. Again, he's laying out these truths to his people. And the second year goes on, verse 11, after Israel's departure from Egypt on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. So the Israelites set out from the wilderness of Sinai and traveled on from place to place until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. When the people set out for the first time following the instructions the Lord had given Moses, Judah's troops led the way. 
they marched behind their banner, and their leader was Nashon, son of Amimadad. They were joined by the troops of the tribe of Issachar, led by Nathaniel, son of Zuar. The troops and the troops of the tribe of Zubalin, led by Elab, son of Helon. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the Gershonite and the Merarite divisions of the Levites were next to carry, I'm sorry, were next in the line of march, carrying the tabernacle with them. Reuben's troops went next, marching behind their banner. And then their leader <laughs> led them. They were joined by the troops of the tribe of Simeon, led by that gentleman there, and the troops of the tribe of Gad, led by that gentleman. Next, Next came the Korahite division of the Levites, carrying the sacred objects from the tabernacle. Before they arrived at the next camp, the tabernacle would already be set up at its new location. Ephraim's troops went next, marching behind their banner with their leader. They were joined by the troops of the tribe of Manasseh, led by their leader, and the troops of the tribe of Benjamin, led by that gentleman. Dan's troops went last marching behind their banner and serving as the rear guard for all the tribal camps. Their leader was that gentleman. They were joined by the troops of the tribe of Asher, led by that guy, and the troops of the tribe of Nephali, led by that gentleman. This was the order in which the Israelites marched division by division. One day Moses said to his brother-in-law, Hobab, son of Raul the Midianite, we are on our way to the place the Lord promised us, for he said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised wonderful blessings for Israel. But Hobab replied, No, I will not go. I must return to my own land and family. Please don't leave us, Moses pleaded. You know the places in the wilderness where we should camp. Come, be our guide. If you do, you'll, we'll share with you all the blessings the Lord gives us. They marched for three days after leaving the mountain of the Lord with the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moving ahead of them to show them where to stop and rest. As they moved on each day, the cloud of the Lord hovered over them. And whenever the Ark set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. And when the ark was set down, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Beautiful. Again, these tribes were marching as the Lord directed. No other nation was doing this. This was really odd and strange. But they were obeying. And I love the fact that the first tribe that went out was Judah. And Judah was, was, was known for praise, for worship. And one of my favorite things in, in the book of Second Chronicles is when Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, when he was surrounded by his enemies, he called his people together. They sought the Lord. The prophet showed up and said, King Jehoshaphat, do not fear. God is with you. The battle is not yours. It belongs to God. Now get up and go face your enemy. And remember, he gave them the song to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Like they got up, they dressed for battle. And the first group of people to go before the soldiers were the worshipers. And I think, God, isn't that awesome? 
Like these people weren't intimidated. The soldiers were behind them. They were the first ones out. But it's such a beautiful picture of the dependence upon God. As the worshipers set forth, and all they had to worship was, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. That's all they were singing. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to go find it and read it, because then God confused all of those nations that surrounded them to destroy them, to turn against each other and destroy each other. So by the time they arrived, all they had to do was take the plunder that they received. Because God fought for them. That's how, that's how important worship is in your life. It shouldn't be a second thought. No, it should become the first thought. And sometimes I've told you, in intense trials and darkness and seasons of your life, if you just remember that little phrase, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. If that's all that you can muster up to come out of your mouth, then just say that. So many of times and many of seasons in my life where I just didn't know, but then I'm reminded, wait a minute, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like doing what God I'm remembering. I'm to give thanks to you for you are good and your love endures forever. Let that truth begin to resonate in your heart and let it come forth from your mouth because God shows up in the midst of our worship. And I love the fact here, as then we see how it ends. And whenever the ark set out, Moses shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. Because they knew as they were making it to the promised land that they were going to face a lot of different enemies out there. But their dependence was upon God. And look at the safety that he then calls upon once they settle down, that the Lord would return and be upon them. This beautiful picture of protection and of safety. This is what we find in our God. And now things begin to shift, you all. You ready? Soon the people began to complain. (laughs) Chapter 11. God is there among them, you all. Miraculous things have happened. God himself is speaking. (coughs) And now they want to complain. Look at this. Soon the people began to complain about their hardships. And the Lord heard everything they said. That does not forget that scripture tells us that we will be held accountable for every idle word that comes from our mouth. That alone should be like, oh God, teach me self-control. I just don't want to be flippant with my mouth. Because every idle word I have to give an account for. Like these people started complaining. And look what it says here. The Lord heard everything they said. (laughs) Then the Lord angered. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them. And he sent a fire to rage among them. And destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. And you know what the world will say? Who would serve a God like that? I would. Because God is just. Everything that God does, we can't stand and accuse God. How dare you be that way? I don't know. He's holy. He, He is just. He is right. And everything that he does, 
There's no error in it. God's anger blazed against his people. And he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. Now notice who they turn back to now. God. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as the Teberah, which means the place of burning, because the fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Oh, but it didn't stop. Now, you would think that would provoke people to be like, <gasps> like, check your heart, check your attitude at the door, mind your manners and watch your mouth. Because this is God we're dealing with here. Oh, no. Verse 4. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites. Remember, these are foreigners now. They're traveling with the Israelites. Began to crave the good things of Egypt. And then the people of Israel also began to complain Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. Are we ever see, are we, I'm sorry, all all we ever see this is, I'm sorry, my goodness. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum risen. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it into mor- in mortars. They, then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. That's how God was feeding his people. This manna, this miraculous appearing substance. But now they're done with it. And now they're remembering what? What's behind them? It was better there. I said, there was a lot more freedom. What, in Egypt? In bondage? You were slaves. You were beaten. You were treated like junk. Oh, but before we point fingers at them, we're no different. We start off walking with Christ. We're like, yes, God, Father, thank you. And then all of a sudden, we remember certain things back over here. This used to satisfy me. The longings of back here prompt us to turn prompts us to murmur and complain prompts us to go this Christian life is boring I can't even do anything I can't even enjoy anything like all of a sudden and then what we're longing for is what was destroying us it doesn't even make sense murmuring and complaining God was feeding them. 
And then verse 10, Moses heard all the families standing in their doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me the misery. So yet again, we see Moses, the man of God, not looking to God, but now looking at himself. Poor me. Poor me. And I've been there, especially when you're leading God's people. It can get frustrating at times. It can get discouraging at times. God, please. But when we find ourselves in that season, it's because we're looking at ourselves. Instead of looking at God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. And say to the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. You will have meat to eat. You are whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two or five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you and you have whined to him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt. I don't know if you're getting this. This is huge. Careful what you're complaining about. Careful what you're murmuring about. Oh, God will turn you over. Oh, you want it? Oh, you're not pleased to be in my presence. You're not pleased to be marked as one of my own. And you want to keep longing for what's back over here? Have at it. He turns you over to it. And that's a sign of God's judgment. Read Romans 1. He turns them over. Oh, you want it? Have at it. Get your fill of it. Because in the end, you're going to end up gagging on it. It's going to end up choking the very life out of you. They are rejecting God because they want what they had. God is among them. Look at that, what what it said there. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. And you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Why did we ever leave our bondage? Why did we ever leave being slaves and being tormented? 
But Moses responded to the Lord, There are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, and yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month? I'm like, oh, Moses, shut up. (laughs) But he goes on, Even if we butchered all of our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, Has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they began to prophesy. But this never happened again. Two men, Elad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. And that's a very important scene here. What Moses just declared that God's spirit would be upon all people. Like the prophet Joel, when he prophesied in the last day, God will pour out his spirit upon all. We, as Christians, when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you receive God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. It was Moses' desire that all people Moses didn't want to be. Remember that one scene from that one movie I've I've shared with you and we've read before where Moses takes them all to the mountain and God was coming down to meet with them. And when God spoke, the majority of the Israelites screamed. They, they, They pushed back in fear and then they said, no, 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 Moses, you, you speak to God on our behalf. It's not just for one man, one woman to speak for God. Like all of us can minister. Remember what the Word of God says in the New Covenant now? That we're all royal, we're all part of the royal priesthood. Each of us is to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. You are to speak. You are to represent. You just don't leave it for me to do. You just don't leave it for evangelists or ministers or, you know, the the educated, more mature saints. (laughs) No, speak. For God's people. So we see here, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Verse 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp for miles in every direction. There were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. 
they spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. So that place was called, that name there, which means graves of gluttony. Because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. From this place, the Israelites traveled to Hezroth, where they stayed for some time. They got what they wanted. But in the end, it didn't satisfy them. So it's a lesson we can learn, you all. Careful what's calling you. Turn back over here. Careful for how you're remembering what you thought freedom was and the comforts of what was back here. Because not everything that looks right is right. These people turned against God and they endured his wrath. They endured his wrath. But we must remember again, whenever we see his wrath, we see his love. Wherever we see his love, we see his wrath. That's why we don't promote either one higher than the other. No, they're both the same. He's a God of love. He's a God of wrath. His wrath is stored up until the day Christ returns and then his wrath is going to be released upon this earth upon those who reject him. Those who are not living for him. He's the same God as he was then, so he is now. And so he will be in the days to come. He doesn't change. He is who he is. He's holy. And he's right in his actions. He's just. And these people got what they wanted. They dismissed him as their God and give us what we want. So he turned them over. Oh, he gave them well. And they were gorging themselves on it. Go to Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 21. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But during the Passover celebration, they argued, or the people may riot. I mean, sorry, they agreed, or the people may riot. Let me back up. I butchered that. All right, so... It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. 
It could have been sold for years' wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body. Look at this. For burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the, God, the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Remember, Jesus' ministry, in this part of his ministry, he's pointing them to the cross. He's letting them know what's ahead for him. They weren't grasping it. They will, after he is resurrected, all of his teachings, it's like all of a sudden their eyes would be open because now they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and now everything's just going to kind of be confirmed to them. But here he is sitting and God specifically chose this woman to come to anoint Jesus for his burial. She probably had no clue. She just came to worship him. I mean, what this woman had to endure First of all, she was a woman. And in that time, the women weren't that respected. See, Jesus came to liberate people. <laughs> this woman came in with a group of men, which is against custom, first of all. And then second of all, she comes in and now she's anointing Jesus. And she did it without fear. She came with a sincere heart. And poured out all that she had upon him. Ah, that's a beautiful picture. The men wanted to reject her. How dare she waste it? And look, now they want to make it a social movement. Oh, that should have been given to the poor. <laughs> oh, that could have been sold. And now they're worked up. And look at Jesus' response to them. You don't have the poor among you. Help them when you want. But you're not always going to have me. And this woman received such honor that whenever the good news is preached, she will be remembered for what she did. Then Judas, Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come. And they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the last, I'm sorry, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asked, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. 
greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is the one, I'm sorry, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But now, I'm sorry, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Could you imagine? Judas already knew what he's doing. But now the twelve is sitting there. Jesus is telling well, one of you around me is going to betray me. And each of them, even Judas, each one asked, am I the one? Could you imagine? There are people sitting in churches today who are just hanging out with Jesus. Now they don't believe, they don't trust him. And yet somehow they have the sincerity of heart to think that they're right with God. Like Judas asked that question, am I the one? Judas, you know you're the one. (laughs) And God knew the one. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And Jesus says, and this is, I want you to see as we end this chapter, verse 21. For the Son of Man must die as scriptures declared long ago. Remember what I told you about the Word of God? God honors everything that has been established. From the beginning, God announced there's a Messiah, there's a Savior, there's going to come one, and he's going to crush the head of the enemy. He's going to free the captives. He's going to deliver God's people to God. Oh my God, that's enough to get you excited. And if it doesn't, you need to ask yourself why it doesn't. Like there's hope from all that I'm enduring and all that this crazy world is going through. Yes, his name is Jesus. And he was purposed to die for us. God purposed it and God brought it about and God accomplished. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. It's finished. And three days later, you all, the stone was rolled away and the tomb is empty. He's alive. He's alive. That's the good news, you all. And because of that, that is our hope. Remember, we don't keep Christ on the cross. We don't keep him in the manger. (laughs) He's risen, you all. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate his, his crucifixion. Oh, but we don't keep him there. Like, he's the risen king of kings and lord of lords. Like, he's accomplished it all and he's returning. And when he returns, he's not coming back as as a little baby. He's not coming back as a limp-wisted, weak man. No, he is coming back, ruling and reigning. He is the king of kings and the lord of... It's done at that time. Like, it's finished what he came to accomplish, but it is finished. It is done. (laughs) 
when he returns. And it's all prophetically prophesied all through Scripture. The Bible says it's the enemy that blinds the eyes. We were blinded. But God, such loving kindness, such mercy, such grace, opens our eyes. He is pleased to reveal himself to us through Jesus. Like no greater love than this. Like, oh God, like you love me? God, I've done so much against you. I've lived so much for myself. I've messed up even becoming after coming a Christian. Like, oh God. And he goes, stop looking at yourself. Look to me. Honor me. Learn of me. Eat of me. Drink of me. Be satisfied in me. That's why as Christians we're to be satisfied in Christ. We don't want to end up being another Judas who betrays him. Like I've always, that picture I always give you. Like you don't want to be the one who says, oh yes, I love Jesus. Oh yes, I go to church. Yes, Jesus is my savior. And then you're trampling on his blood and making it so common as if it's nothing. Like do you really think that's honoring God? Do you really think like when you take your last breath and you stand before God? Like what are you going to say? What, what are you going to compare? Well, I didn't want to go too far in with you because, you know, I, didn't, I don't want people to think I'm, you know, overly religious. And I don't know what, what, what excuses people are going to have when all of a sudden they think they're right with God and they stand before him and go, oh, Jesus. Like, there's only going to be two things you're going to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest for all eternity. Like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Or he's going to look at you and say, depart from me, you worker of sin. I don't know you. And then you may be the ones that the Bible says that's going to stand before him and go, oh, but, but didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we feed the poor? Didn't we go to church? Didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And he's going to go, I don't know you. You never entered into covenant with me. You never received me. You were so consumed with your rebellion. You were so consumed with sin. That's where your heart was. And I gave you what you wanted. Like, do you understand? Like, God doesn't send you to hell. You choose to go. Like, God's made provision for you to be in heaven for all eternity and, 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 and live for him for eternity. I mean, it's glorious. But there's people who are going to refuse to believe because they're satisfied with the temporalness of this life. And you go, for what? For what? Because in the moment now it feels right. Like, oh God, please help us, you all. I mean, we don't want his blood to become so common that we're just stomping in it. And it means nothing. Like the price that was paid for us, you all. His body was ripped to pieces for you. Every ounce of blood 
poured out from him. Like he endured God's wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out in that moment for you, for me. Like you don't have to endure that, Rob. That's why I always say to y'all, why would you choose his wrath when he's given us his love? Why would we choose God's anger and God's wrath when he says, here I am, just come to me like I've made a way. You don't have to endure it. I mean, come on. See, the enemy knows where he's going. Remember the demons when Jesus shows up on the scene? They're like, ah, Jesus, Son of God, is it time? They know ultimately what their end is. And he's the father of lies. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's blinded the eyes of your loved ones and of the people that are still bound to their sin. God pulls us up out of darkness, opens up our eyes and puts us right back down in the midst of it and says, now go. Go announce freedom to the captives. Go and go and face your adversary every single day. Go into this world that you will have trouble in, but be of good cheer because I've already overcame it. Live differently. Think differently. Move differently. Be strategic in, in how you're planning. Because ultimately the goal is my return. I'm established. My kingdom's established. It's coming. And it's coming with such power. But I'm going to unleash such wrath upon those who have refused me. And he's just to do so. Because again, the world will say, what kind of God is that? Like, if you ever read the book of Revelation, there's going to be people when the wrath of God is hitting every which way, when God is, you know, there's angels flying back and forth. Like the supernatural is just being experienced and there's still going to be people on this earth who are going to raise their fists and say, you're not God. What? Let that not be said among us. Let us be those that will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall. Doesn't mean you're not going to have whatever. But it doesn't mean you're not going to be bound by it. When you sin, when you fall, get up, repent, and move on. Move forward. That's why we have to have accountability. That's why the church has to be together. We have to see the effects of sin and how dangerous it is. We don't coddle it. We don't try to change it to fit the culture. No, we see how destructive it is. And yet, it's being stripped away from preachers today. You barely hear anyone talk about sin or the wrath of God or to repent. Everyone's just looking for a good message to make me feel better about me. But I can't stand before you all and just do that. I mean, I've told you I can get up and do a performance for you all. 
do that. When I know in the end, it doesn't benefit you. Not until what's to come. It may benefit you for the hour. It's not, it's not preparing you for what's ahead. Go to Psalm 51. Talking about sin. Look at this psalm. King David, a man after God's own heart. He loved God since a boy, you all. His heart was towards God. God chose him to be king. And not only to be king, but to bring the Messiah through him. Like ultimately God tells David, this is my covenant with you. Your, your throne will last forever. Like the Messiah, the king of all kings, is going to come from your seed. And yet, he's committed adultery. And not only has he committed adultery, but he called the man, the, the woman's husband, back from battle and says, hey, go lay with your wife. He gets him drunk. Go lay with your wife. David wakes up the next day and the guy is laying there. Like you're supposed to be with your wife to cover up for what I've done. See, King David should have been at war. But instead, he was at home, up on the roof, and looks over and sees this woman and decided to take her for himself. Realize what he did wrong. Now he wants to cover it up. Brings the guy back from war. Tries to entice him to go lay with his wife. But the guy's like, no, no, no. I'm to honor my king. If the rest of the men are out there fighting, I am not going to go lay down with my wife. I'm going to honor my king. So what does David do? Makes a little note. Seals it up. Gives it to the guy and says, give this to the leading commander out there. The leading commander opens up the note and says, put Uriah, I believe was his name, out front. And then pull back, let him be slaughtered. King, King David, you're the man of God. You're, you're the one the Bible describes as having a heart for God. And what on earth are you doing? So David writes this after the prophet came to him. And basically calls him out. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Look how he approaches God. He's not trying to mince words. No, he just recognizes. He knows his God, you all. Have mercy on me, O oh God, because of your unfailing love. Not because of anything else, but because I know you, God. And I know your love. It endures forever. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize, look at this, my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Oh, have you been enslaved to sin as a Christian? Like, see, before Christ, you don't care. 
but get tripped up in it as a Christian. And you don't think the enemy comes in to wreak havoc? Day and night, the guilt is plaguing us. Day and night. Oh, don't get hardened. <laughs> but when you're feeling the weight of your sin, respond as David responded. Repent. I recognize my rebellion. God, forgive me. Don't make excuses for it. You don't keep moving along with it. No, you get right before God. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Remember, we've seen a lot of God's judgment through our reading today. And I keep reminding you, his judgment is fair. It's just. He's not just a, a, a weird God who is like, poof, 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 just to kill people, just to destroy them. No, he's just. He's fair. He's righteous. And David says, I know. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Who's doing the work in David? God. How many times do we try in our own effort to get right with God? I'll pray a little bit more. Oh, I'll go to church. I'll read all these scriptures. I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, and I'll do. And somehow I'll be right with God. And God is like, no, nope. <laughs> you got it all wrong. And yet what, does, what do a lot of religions promote? Especially a lot of denominations. They promote all the works to get right with God. That's a lie from the enemy to keep people away from God. David knew like you, only you can purify me. Only you can wash me clean. And look what he says here. It's one of my favorite verses. Oh, give back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew, look at this, a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What a beautiful prayer in times of bondage to sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And look at this verse here. Do not Banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Before King David, there was King who? Saul. And do you remember what happened to King Saul? Cuckoo. God took his spirit off of him. The man went cuckoo. Wasted away. David remembered. I don't want to end up there, God. 
don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, I can't even imagine. Like, God. And look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And look at this. And make me willing to obey you. You don't play around with sin, you all. It's destructive. There's consequences. Then, and look at this. Not only now, now he's clean. Now, now he, he sees God for who he is. He's repenting. He understands the rebellion that he was in. He understands the guilt and the shame. But restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Isn't that a beautiful picture of us as well? Like God, you've delivered us. You've freed us. You've given us the joy of your salvation. You've caused us and you're making us willing to obey you. And in this, now what do we do in return? Then I will teach your ways to those behind us, the rebels, and they will return to you. What is your purpose in the New Testament? To go to preach the gospel, to call others back to God. <laughs> Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not deserve a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, look at this, and repentant heart, O God. David didn't rely on the sacrifices to make him right with God. He relied on God to make him right. See the difference? He didn't go and start like, oh, let's do all this and somehow we'll provoke God to forgive me. No, 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 no. He knows God. He knows his God. What you're looking for, God, is a broken spirit. I know you. You won't reject a broken and a repentive heart. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifice offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and a whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. What a beautiful picture of restoration. What a beautiful picture of having a right heart attitude when we become enslaved to sin. I love it when the New Testament tells us, Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. First John writes, he says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, remember Jesus. Don't stay in bondage to sin. Is there areas of your heart and your life that you're living that is contrary to who God is? Oh, I would pray for each of us that we would just get right with God. He will give you what you need to get free from it. Whatever holds you there, like he'll give you what you need to get free from it. He's already giving you Jesus. 
Now it's just the applicable truth as the Holy Spirit brings the conviction of your heart. Like I've shared with you that day, 20 some odd years ago in that room, in that condo, I pleaded to keep my life. I didn't know what on earth was going to happen to me. I didn't know who the man that I was going to become. I didn't know what the next day or the next hour will hold from me. And I wrestled with God. I pleaded with God. God, show me somewhere in your word. And he took me to Romans 6. What then shall you say? Shall you continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't you know that if you have died with me, you've been raised up with me into a new life? The wages of sin is death, but the bountiful free gift from God is eternal life. I got off my knees. I tell you, it's like things, it's like just these weights just fell off of me. And when I opened the door, there was my lover. And he says, you're leaving. And I said, I belong to him. I can't stay. It wasn't easy. It's not easy to walk away from things, from people, from a whole life that I enjoyed. <laughs> I didn't hate my life. But yet, even though I enjoyed my life, I was still so broken inside. <clears throat> that I was trying to do everything and anything just to kill myself. It doesn't even make sense. The day months before that incident in the condo months before I'm taking pills about to take them to, to kill myself and the Lord stepped in so graciously he didn't have to he could have looked down and said oh you're look at that filthy rebellious sinner he deserves my wrath nah he didn't say that he doesn't say that to you no, he stepped in at the right moment and said, right behind my ear, today you'll live. <gasps> Jesus, I never thought about him. I hated him. What I want him for. But I knew in an instant, like, oh, God, Jesus, you're real. My life wasn't perfect. I was still much bondage to alcohol, to drugs, to you name it. But yet he met me right there. As he meets you right there. Whatever you're there is. And he says, just trust me. I got you. I got you. And then you begin this incredible walk. And so when you start laying things down from your old life, it's so worth it, y'all so worth it for the freedom that you gain the hope that you receive the love that is lavished upon you the peace that surpasses all understanding I had my reasons of, of not giving up different things for quite some time but God never gave up on me and he's not going to give up on you but it's not to say that you can keep clinging to the things that you want. Because there's going to come a day where you're going to stand before him. 
And then what are you going to say? Shoulda, woulda, coulda. But he's going to say, those things meant more to you than I meant. So depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. That's why it's vital that you look over your life and you allow the Holy Spirit access. You, you give yourself to Christ and you say, Lord, here I am. And you live a life, a repentive life daily. You're living the newness of life daily. You don't have to live in, in, in like, oh, I'm going to hell. No, you can have the, the assurance that even through these years where I have fallen, where I have, I, I've, I've sinned, where I've just not been the best man, God has been quick to remind me. Get up from there. That is not who you are. He'll do the same for you. Let it go. Let them go. Follow me. Choose me. Your obedience reflects your love towards him. He doesn't force you. You can choose to do whatever and do whatever. But ultimately, remember that it's your choice. Because what you sow to, you'll reap. Let's close in Proverbs. But I pray that Psalm 51, go back and just meditate on that this week, you all. Proverbs 10. We finish with Proverbs 10. The last two verses, 31 and 32. Oh, he's beautiful, you all. Two nuggets of wisdom. The mouth of the godly person gives wise advice. But the tongue that deceives will be cut off. The lips of the godly speak helpful words. But the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. Remember, words are vital. And I've always said, you want to know how close you are to God? Listen to what comes out of your mouth, because what comes out is what's here. Listen to how you're speaking. Are you wise? Or are you wicked? Your words should give life. They should build up. They shouldn't tear down. You're not to be a deceiver any longer. You're not to manipulate. You're not to curse. You're not to grumble and complain and fault find and gossip and and just keep vomiting all over the place. That's who you were. It's not who you are. And even if you're a Christian and you find that that's an area of your life that still has a stronghold, then seek God for freedom. Just don't accept it. No, you should see how ugly it is and go, oh God, no. It's just as ugly as David's adultery. It's just as ugly as David's murder. That's why there's no level of sin is sin. There's no level. It's ugly. The same gospel that I would preach to murderers, the same gospel that I would preach to one who gossips. There's freedom found in Christ and in Christ alone. (laughs) Turn from your wickedness and turn to God. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and run the race that is set before you to gain the prize which is in Christ. This is the good news, you all. This is the hope that we have as believers. And oh, how I pray each of you that you're experiencing that hope. 
And the last thing, just in closing, something I've been praying for this, this past week, not just for us, but just for, just for the, the, the church at large. Because there's so many people sitting in churches today, like so many. And I've been praying, God, help us not to be deceived. We just don't want to be a religious people. Oh God, we want to be your people. Like we just don't want to hold a form and not respect you. No, God, we want to have that intimate relationship with you. That I know that I know that I know my God. And that you know that you know that you know your God. And that no matter where, at what level you're at, if you're at an infant stage, whatever stage you're at in your walk with Christ, that you don't take your eyes off of them. But that this would be genuine. And that this year truly would be a year that you cultivate godliness in your life. And you look at the things, you look at the people, you look at all the distractions, you look at everything that is set with you, before you, around you, and you're going to have to do some house cleaning. (laughs) You're going to have to make some hard decisions. You're going to have to say, no, God, it's all you. I'm going to trust you with my future. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to be weighed down and, and stay stuck and the same routine and the same pattern again. And I'm not going to get to the end of 2020 and be where I was in 2015, 2000, whatever. Like we're staying stuck in patterns for years. And then what good are we becoming? We have all these excuses. And yet God is, says, God is saying, get rid of all of them. And just come unto me. I see God is moving y'all in our generation. I'm believing for such a great awakening that's going to take place upon this earth. That people from all walks of lifestyles are going to start awakening to truth. And people that have even sat in church will start going to church. That all of a sudden things will begin to move. Because God promises that his people will live. That those who belong to him, their eyes will be open. Time is ticking. Prophecy is just being fulfilled left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. And God is not going to neglect his people. No, he's going to gather them. And I believe we're we're about to see an incredible harvest of people come to light. Not because of what man's doing, not because of what the church is doing, but because God is calling people home. So please, you all, just seek Christ. Choose this day to grow. Choose this day to give him your life and just say, have at it, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in
Less of me 